Um, Sorry, I'm sounding abnormally nasally this morning. Um, I'm going to try to help that a little bit. Um, So, I am not as good of a preacher as Philip Nancy was. Uh, And one thing I've noticed is... uh, that Philip was not only really good at preaching, he was really good at knowing what he was going to preach next and how far that was, how far he was going to get, how long it was going to take. And so I remember standing in the pulpit just seven days ago, so I think I'm going to get through Galatians this month and we'll finish it up, and that's just not going to happen. So this is like my, what, sixth week uh, doing this over the last three months, and um, I still don't know how to do that. So um, we'll get to the end of Galatians at some point, Lord willing. That's all I'm going to say about that ever again. Uh, so open your Bibles with me this morning to Galatians 4. We'll pick up in verse 21. And while you're turning there, I'm going to walk us through a quick recap where we've been in Galatians. And then we'll get into the text. If you were here during the month of July, or were with us last Sunday when we picked back up in Galatians, you may remember that Galatians is the first letter that Paul wrote. That's the first one we have recorded for him. And it's also his angriest letter. And that's not because Paul was a hothead in his early ministry and needed some years of wisdom to level out a little bit. It's because the Galatians who had received the gospel from Paul with gladness and had joyfully sacrificed themselves even to nurse Paul through sickness were allowing themselves to be deceived by false gospel. It was the false gospel of the Judaizers who denied salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and instead taught justification by faith and works. They had to believe and they had to do good enough. They taught that Jesus could get you started, but it's on you to finish the job. And how easy it is to think that faith will get us started, but our works will get us home. But Paul indicated back in chapter 1, that's no gospel at all. That's not good news. That's the opposite of good news. In fact, it's the worst possible news. And starting in Galatians 4.21, Paul tells us why. He says this, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. For it's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. 
Remember, in Galatians 4.20, Paul had just said, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. And verse 21 makes it clear the kind of tone change Paul has in mind. He says, tell me. And this is no casual request. He's calling the Galatians to give an account. He is perplexed. He's at a total loss as to how the Galatians could have gone this far off the rails. And so he wants answers. So in essence, he asks, do you think God just sent Jesus to give you the boost you need to earn your salvation? You think you're going to begin by faith and finish by works? Well, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Do you want to be under the law so badly? Have you considered what it says? And so Paul, in verses 22 and 23, takes them back to the law, the Pentateuch, first five books. And Paul reminds the Galatians that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. And you remember this story. We pick it up in Genesis 12. So if you want to turn there with me, uh, while you're doing that, I'll throw out a disclaimer. Uh, I'm not going to keep up with Abraham, with when Abraham was Abram and when he was Abraham. Paul doesn't do that, so I'm just going to follow his lead. Um, Now, as we get into Genesis 12, uh, let me say that the responsiveness of the kids in the room last week completely blew me away. I was not ready for that. I threw out a little question. I thought I might get like two little yas or something, and it was like this explosion, Uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, So kids, if you're good with it, I want to get your help again. Uh, This one could be tough, so we'll see how it goes. Okay. So I'm going to read a few verses to you guys from Genesis 12. In these verses, God makes some promises to Abraham. So you're going to hear God tell Abraham all sorts of awesome things that he's going to do for Abraham. But here's where I need your help, kids. I need you to listen really carefully and tell me what God needs Abraham to do to help God keep his promises. Okay? And here are your choices. You have two choices. Choice number one is he needs Abraham to do something. So choice number one is something. Choice number two is zero zilch nada. Okay? So what does God need Abraham's help with? Okay, so when Abraham was 75 years old, God came to him and said this. Are you guys ready? Here's the passage. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And here's the first one. You ready? I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All right, kids. So did you hear all the things that God said he would do for Abraham? It's pretty amazing. Now, here's the question. What did God need Abraham to do to help him keep his promises? Was it something or was it zero, zilch, nada? Anybody have an idea? Come on, that's it. I thought that might be a little bit harder. But yes, zero, zilch, nada. God didn't need Abraham to do anything, right? He didn't need Abraham's help at all. Um, 
The promises depended entirely upon God. God didn't need Abraham's help to keep them. God promised to bless him, and so Abraham was going to be blessed, period. But the Galatians were struggling to believe that. They started believing they had to do something to inherit God's promises, as though God would only be able to keep his promises with their help. And if you remember, Abraham eventually felt the same way. In Genesis 15, Abraham is somewhere between 75 and 85 years old. He's no spring chicken. God hasn't delivered on his promise yet, and Abraham was super old to be having kids when the promise was first made, but at this point it's just getting ridiculous. So Abraham, kind of like a little antsy, sort of checks back in. He says, oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And Abraham said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham was worried that God's promises, all of which hinged upon him having a son, may not come to fruition. The window was closing, and God may not be able to help. So God reassured uh, reassured him of his promises, and we're told that Abraham believed him. But in the very next chapter, Abraham's wife Sarah, who was herself at the time between 65 and 75 years old, not exactly ripe childbearing years, essentially says to her husband, listen, honey, I'm old, like ridiculously old to be having kids. And if God knew what he was doing, he would have already granted us this son because it's way too late for me to have a baby now. So you should take my slave, Hagar, and have the child of promise with her. So instead of trusting God to supernaturally enable Sarah to bear a son, Abraham relied on his own strength. And when Abraham was 86 years old, Hagar bore him a son named Ishmael, but he wasn't the son. Genesis 17 tells us that 13 years later, God tells the then 99-year-old Abraham that his then 89-year-old wife will bear him a son. And chapter 21 tells us that one year later, the 90-year-old Sarah gave birth to Isaac, the son God promised 25 years earlier. So Ishmael wasn't the son God promised. Ishmael was the result of Abraham trusting his own abilities more than God's. And the results were just sad. As soon as Sarah found out Hagar was pregnant, she hated Hagar, hated her, and mistreated her. And and years after Isaac's birth, Sarah caught Ishmael laughing at Isaac in mockery. It was during the feast where Isaac was being weaned. He would have probably been three or four years old. And Ishmael was mocking him. And Sarah told Abraham to put Hagar and Ishmael out of the house. Just to send them away to get rid of them. And God told Abraham to do what Sarah said. So he sent them both away. He he put them out. And eventually Hagar and Ishmael settled in the wilderness of Paran which is the region of modern-day Saudi Arabia, where Mount Sinai is located. And so you say, Chad, I I hear you, 
But we're in Genesis. What does it have to do with Galatians? That's a good question. And Paul answers it in verse 24 in Galatians chapter 4. He essentially says, listen, there there was more going on in Genesis 12 through 21 than God giving a son to some old folks who struggled to trust him along the way. This true story is also an allegory. It represents something more. And that something gets right to the heart of Paul's warning to the Galatians. According to Paul, Hagar and, Hagar and Sarah represent two covenants, two promises. He says Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia. You say, okay, I get that. <clears throat> you just said that when Abraham put Hagar and Ishmael out of the house, they ended up in Arabia where Mount Sinai is located. But what's going on with this allegory? Where's Paul going with it? Well, I'll tell you where he's going with it. He's going to go straight into the Galatians' living rooms with this. He's getting very, very personal. He says that Hagar, who is Mount Sinai, corresponds to present Jerusalem, home of the legalism of the Jews and the Judaizers. So what do Hagar and Mount Sinai have in common? Well, what comes to mind when you hear the words Mount Sinai? The law, right? Like, There are other things Mount Sinai is famous for, but that's what immediately comes to mind. That's where the law was given to Moses. And what's in the law of Moses? Well, the law of Moses contains 613 laws. And though I shouldn't, I'll admit that I regularly struggle to remember all of the Ten Commandments. Like, I'll get about nine of them. I'm like, which one did I skip? Um, But even if I memorize all ten word for word, how about this? I would only be 1.6% of the way there. I would still have 603 more to go. And that's just the work I'd have to do to know the law. So it's no wonder that Solomon says, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. How could they? And that's terrifying because the law doesn't just require you to know it. It requires you to obey it absolutely, perfectly. Listen to Deuteronomy 28, 58 to 61. Now, I'm going to abbreviate this text. Um, He continues on. Moses continues way on with the warnings and and the curses here. But in Deuteronomy 28, 58, Moses has just recounted the law to the people. And he says, if you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. So let me stop right there. Notice which words of the law must be obeyed. It's all of them. It's every single word. And what happens if you don't? Does God brush your sin under the rug? Does he wait to see if you do more good works than bad? Does he check and see if you're better than your neighbor? No. Moses says this in the next verse. Here's how it continues. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. And he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also... And every affliction that's not recorded in the book of this law 
the Lord will bring upon you until when? Until you are destroyed. That's what comes from Mount Sinai. Now here in Galatians 4, Paul says that Hagar represents Mount Sinai. In fact, he says Hagar is Mount Sinai. So how are Hagar and Mount Sinai similar? First, Paul says that like Mount Sinai, Hagar bears children for slavery. Remember, Hagar was Sarah's slave. And even though Ishmael was born to Abraham, he was never treated like it. In the ancient world, the firstborn was the heir. That's why Jacob famously, you know, the secondborn had to deceive Isaac to get Esau's inheritance. But even though Ishmael was the firstborn, he was not the son of promise, so he could not be the heir. And since Ishmael was not the heir, he was really just a slave like his mother. So Hagar bore her son into slavery. And like Ishmael, those born under the law are also born into slavery. So if you're under the law, if you think you just need Jesus to get you started, and that your law-keeping, your being a good person, or whatever synonym you use for earning, then you're not a son. You're a slave, just like Ishmael. Ishmael had no inheritance from his father, and if you're under the law... You have no inheritance from the father. Why? Because you're not his son. You're a slave. You have zero freedom to obey the law and even less freedom to do so from a heart that reveres the glorious and awesome name of the Lord. You can't do it. If you're determined to rely upon your works, your own efforts to save you, then Hagar is your spiritual mother and you're still enslaved to sin. That's the first similarity. Here's the second one. Paul reminds the Galatians that Hagar's son was born according to the flesh, he says. The only reason Hagar had a son is because Abraham had more confidence in his own abilities than God's. Instead of trusting God to supernaturally provide, Abraham thought, you know, I don't really need God's provision. I can get this done myself. And isn't that exactly the lie the Galatians started buying from the Judaizers? Of course you need to believe in Jesus, but you really need to start, you really need to be circumcised. You need to become Jewish. You really need to start obeying the law. Well, that's heresy. And you know the name, you know the same is true of anything you insert in addition to faith? Justification by faith plus anything is a false gospel. It is heresy. It keeps you in chains. When Abraham trusted his own works, all Hagar bore him was a slave who would never be an heir. And when you trust in your own works to save you, none of your legalistic efforts will get you one inch closer to being an heir. You'll never be anything more than a slave. Now, do you see why Paul was completely at his wit's end with the Galatians? They knew the gospel. And Paul knew they knew the gospel because he's the one that told it to them. And they were exchanging the freedom of the gospel for the chains of legalism. Are you doing that? Do you think God will accept you if you believe in Jesus and keep his commandments? Do you think God will save you if you trust Jesus and live a better, more moral life than most other people? 
If you think anything of the sort, then be warned. Hagar is your mother, and her children are slaves, not heirs. But if that's you, I'm begging you not to stay there. Please don't stay there. And that's what Paul does with the Galatians when he calls their attention to the other mother in the allegory, Sarah. Sarah corresponds to the Jerusalem above that's free, Paul says. And Paul is confident that the Lord will drive out their legalism and return their confidence in the gospel. So he tells them that Sarah is our mother. She's our mother. Two verses later, he says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. And just three verses after that, he reminds the struggling Galatians that we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And then he cites Isaiah 54.1, which isn't an overt reference to Sarah. There's no other place in the scripture that I can find where this is cited in reference to Sarah. And yet it sounds very much like Sarah. It says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Sarah had no children of her own, and she was well beyond her childbearing years when God first made his promises to Abraham. And then God waited 25 more years to deliver. He waited to make good on his promise until Sarah was so old that although childbirth was impossible for Sarah, it was very possible for God. In the new covenant, the covenant that corresponds to Sarah, it works the same way. God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need your help. Isaac's birth is a picture of God's supernatural enablement and provision. In the same way that God enabled the miraculous birth of Isaac, he enables the miraculous new birth of those who trust that justification Acceptance with God is not earned, but received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. If you walked in this morning as a child of Hagar, and you believe you'll get into heaven because you're better and more moral than most people, or if you believe, like the Galatians, that God will let you in because of your faith in Jesus, plus your obedience, then please don't stay there. Be born again. Be born to a different mother. Break free from the chains of trying to earn God's acceptance and trust that Jesus lived and died for you and that he really paid it all. That's the only way you could ever be justified. So please don't miss that. Now in verse 29, Paul addresses what may be a point of confusion for some of the Galatians. Why? If we're believing the truth, are our Jewish brothers, the Judaizers, creating so much trouble for us? Why are they persecuting us? Paul reminds them of the reason Sarah told Abraham to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. Paul says, but just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. 
Paul's saying, don't be surprised or discouraged by persecution from those who deny the gospel. The children of the slave woman have been doing that since Genesis 21, when Ishmael mocked Isaac, the son of promise. That's nothing new. And Paul doesn't stop at identifying these false teachers, these opponents of the gospel who are persecuting and troubling the church. He tells the Galatians what to do with them, too. He asks them this, but what does the scripture say? And then he quotes God's instructions to Abraham in Genesis 21.10, Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So what do we do when someone teaches a false gospel and shows himself unwilling to embrace the truth? We don't mess around with them. We put them out. And that may seem harsh, but my goodness, it's not. It's not at all. In that situation, it's the most loving option possible. It's the only loving option because you don't coddle the wolves when they're trying to devour the sheep. So in this text, Paul is essentially saying, brothers, for the life of me, I cannot figure out why you would want to be children of the slave woman again. Christ came to set you free from bondage to the law. He came to break the chains that enslaved you to sin. So don't rely on your abilities to save you. That's what it's like having Hagar as your mother. You're constantly striving and never attaining. Do you ever feel that way in your relationship with God? Like you're trying to do enough for him and you just can't get there? Abandon ship on that. Trust that in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has supernaturally provided for you. He has done it. He's provided everything that he requires of you. Everything. Everything God requires of you, he has provided it in Christ for you. We trust that. We put our confidence in that, that God has done all the work that when Jesus lived and died, he was doing that in our place. And if anyone in the church ever teaches to the contrary and is unwilling to be taught the gospel, then put them out because of your love for the sheep. Let me pray. God, thank you um, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. God, thank you that we are no longer um, in bondage to sin. We're no longer in chains to our sin. Because God, that's where we all were. We were all there. We were born in sin. Hagar was our mother. And we were playing the part. And yet you've granted us new birth in Christ. You didn't leave us there. And so God, we praise you for the way in which that happened. Thank you that you didn't need our help. We certainly couldn't provide any. And we thank you that you didn't need it. I thank you that, that in your sovereignty, in your mercy, you accomplished for us everything you required of us. God, that is such 
a rich blessing. I mean, I, I don't even know how to um, talk about it. I, I, I don't know how to accurately reflect on that. Help us to have that in our minds. Banish from us any thought that we can earn anything from you or that your acceptance can be bought somehow by us. That is absurdity. That's slavery. Um, Just God, we, we need you for everything. So Lord, we love you and uh, we praise you for your goodness to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Oh